0: You're listening to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL and 980cfpl.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. Today's show is part of the monthly Waste Not series in which we discuss food-related waste and other ways that households and communities can act locally to contribute to global change. We'll be discussing scientific innovations in organic waste management with Laura Gibson, Manager Organic Development at Stormfisher right here in London. Welcome, Laura.
1: Thanks, Peggy. Happy to be here today. Really, really
0: happy to have you. Laura, let's just start out with uh, getting everyone up to speed on what is Stormfisher, what does it do? and what's its mission?
1: Sure, so Stormfisher and our parent company generate Upcycle. We own, operate and develop facilities that convert organic waste into valuable end products, which includes both renewable energy and fertilizer. Within Ontario, we currently operate two facilities. So we have the Resource Recovery Centre in Drumbo, which opened up in kind of early 2021. And at that facility, we accept and pre-process up to 100000 Thousand tons a year of organic waste, which includes green bin material from various municipalities. As well as some industrial and, and commercial organic waste, we also operate the London biogas facility, which takes in up to 195,000 tons a year of organics. It produces 2.85 megawatts of renewable electricity and 225,000 gigajoules a year of renewable natural gas using an anaerobic digestion process. Our mission is is really to provide the most reliable, sustainable, and resilient infrastructure solutions that we can that are both environmentally and economically sound.
0: Wow, incredible. It was just under 300,000 tons between the two facilities, Drumbo and London, that you are uh, diverting out of landfill and repurposing and turning into something that's usable. And that's a really significant contribution. So Laura, what are some of the main priorities in food and organic waste management today?
1: As I see it, there are two main priorities, and they're both equally important and need to go hand in hand. So the first one is just to make sure that across the board we are diverting as much organic waste as possible away from landfills and that regulations are in place to help encourage both individuals and industrial and commercial processors to divert. A lot of people don't realize that landfills in Ontario are nearly almost at capacity. There's something like 10 years left, if even. So the more that we divert, the more we extend the life of our existing landfills. Also, the more that we're able to divert, we're able to just get more value from the organic waste that we wouldn't otherwise be able to. The second priority is building out more infrastructure that's available to process organic waste. Believe it or not, almost all of the organics recycling infrastructure that we have in Ontario today are at capacity. So they basically all need to be expanded. One of the challenges that we all face in this industry is that it is hard to find sites that have the proper zoning and also that can be permitted to build this kind of infrastructure. That's something that a challenge we have to face, but doesn't downplay the importance that we do need to get more infrastructure built.
0: Okay, so two things diverting it and keeping top of mind wherever you are, whether you're at home, uh, at a restaurant in a mall, that everything goes somewhere, you know, the garbage isn't done just because it leaves wherever you are, it is going somewhere. So that idea that you talked about diverting, making sure it gets to a place where it will then go to another place and get used the biggest piece that you mentioned that I wanted to follow up on was the uh, finding areas where you can actually put facilities like these. And I'm sure the province and and even federally are interested in supporting expansion. However, land use is very much municipally and locally governed. So getting communities to support this kind of either rezoning or support for the zoning, it's a pressing priority and very happy to have Storm Fisher not only out there doing what you do but serving as a model and reaching for the future on what will organic waste management on a large scale look like. So that leads me then, Laura, to a question on research and innovation. What are some of the challenges in research?
1: So definitely, I agree, research and innovation are absolutely critical. And, you know, waste is generated in every sector of our society. So there's absolutely lots of room for research and innovation. And I think when we talk about innovation, it doesn't necessarily have to be high tech that can have big impacts. So, for example, restaurants or grocery stores implementing programs to recover or redirect leftover food or soon-to-be expiring food, those kind of innovations have a big impact on our waste shed. And they also have, you know, secondary, equally important benefits of nourishing and caring for the people in our communities. And then there's also high-tech examples of research innovation. You know, a good example is there's been a lot of attention recently on the food food packaging space. And I think there's been a lot of recent advancements made and still a lot more room for further advancements in this field. The more that we can either reduce or eliminate the inorganic component with the food that you're buying, it does make a meaningful impact on how much waste goes to our landfills and makes it a lot easier for large-scale facilities like ours to process the organic waste. You know, you surprised me a little bit there,
0: Laura. I was expecting, you know, really high-tech. How do we get one property become another property and all the chemistry behind it? But some of the biggest innovations are behavioral innovations. Absolutely. And that we can overlook. I know that I do. And there was a threat of behavior change through almost everything that you said, whether that's behavior change on an industry level or whether whether that's even at a household level, is there another way? And so those behavioral changes are going to really, really help. And I think that's something that we all can do, Uh, like the behavior changes, avoiding food waste, putting things in the green bin. It's those types of behavior changes that are going to help individuals be able to participate in the same conversation, but at a different scale. Industries like Stormfisher doing a lot of the high tech and the research and innovations that we can work together at our level. So I think that's really, really important. And to that point, often when we think about food and organic waste management, we do often think of household composting and that it's not the only source of food and organic waste. Where does large scale management and technology fit into this aspect of sustainability and using things that have still life in them that we have often thought of as garbage?
1: So backyard composting is absolutely great and i'd encourage everyone to participate if they're able to because it does help but the reality is that a large portion of ontario's population lives in apartment buildings or condos or is not able to backyard compost for one reason or another and the other thing is almost 50% of the organic waste generated in our province is from food processors so if you think of you know a cookie factory or something for example if there's a big bad batch of cookie dough, it's not practical to be uh, composting that in, in a small scale. So that's where large scale facilities are needed to ensure that we do have reliable solutions that can serve sort of all aspects of our entire waste shed.
0: That really is an excellent point. And it reminded me just how intricately dependent it is. So if there is, for example, a bad batch of cookies at a factory where cookies are made, certainly we want the highest standards for the ingredients and in production and Canadian Food Inspection Agency, and all of that requires it. But then what do we do with the waste, we need somebody there to respond. So back to the point you made earlier that although we're talking today about things that are geographically close to London, Ontario, that really it's any community, any municipality anywhere, we need to have the larger scale management and technology as well to do all the things that can't be done at home, and we need to work together. So I'm curious about the funding for commercialization and expansion that's needed in the industrial food Organic waste management. And can you tell us just a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So I think the interesting thing when it comes to funding for commercialization is that, you know, large scale compost and large scale anaerobic digestion facilities, it's all kind of commercially ready technologies that can be deployed today. So if we do look to places like Europe, almost every municipality has its own large scale composting facility and large scale anaerobic digestion facility. It's just, in Canada, we're not quite there yet, and, and sort of in North America as a whole. The, kind of the the piece that makes these projects economically viable is twofold, and one is just diverting the organics from the landfill in the first place. If any producer of organic waste is competing with a landfill for where they can go with their waste, it's always going to be cheaper. So, in order to bring up the financial viability of alternative options, there needs to be kind of a stronger requirement to. Diver- Divert the organics from landfill. And, and that's where regulations do play an important role.
0: That's very helpful because a lot of what we talk about on this show is, you know, citizenship and what can citizens do and being aware of policy initiatives and when things are moving forward to just support them. So you had mentioned regulation and how some larger scale facilities have options. And if we had policy that made it a little less attractive to send organic waste to landfill, then we would be able to be more successful together and citizens would be able to help with that. And you had mentioned that Europe has really got a lot of facilities similar to Stormfisher, And I think that's encouraging because we don't need to reinvent the wheel. It may be globally, there are markets where some of the specialized equipment already exists. Now, that might not be unilaterally true, but it is a way that we don't have to to do everything ourselves from scratch while we're trying to get things off the ground. So certainly, the takeaways from this last question that I've asked you is support for policy, and as a consumer looking to see, many organizations now are posting their corporate social responsibility, what they do, and and if you know there's a choice between two products equally the same, and you've been to the website and one mentions what they do with their waste, support the organization that is handling from start to finish everything that aligns with your values. So excellent, excellent points, and. And uh, thank you for these insights, Laura. After the break, we'll talk about the science of food and organic waste management with Laura Gibson from Fisher. Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL and 980cfpl.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. We're speaking about innovations in food and organic waste management with Laura Gibson from Stormfisher. Laura, what are some of the most exciting research that you've seen recently on food and organic waste management?
1: So I'd like to give a shout out to Genesis Bio Industries, a Toronto-based company, and we're actually lucky to have them as a future tenant on our site in London. Genesis is incredibly innovative, and they're doing research and are currently operating a pilot plant that is taking organic waste and converting it into biodegradable plastics. So super cool. They're going to be expanding that from a pilot scale to a demonstration scale at our plant in London, hopefully be kind of launching in the next six months or so. So the work that they're doing is helping to eliminate the amount of single-use plastics that end up in the waste shed and often into the landfills. Really exciting work that they're doing and a really cool company to check out.
0: Yeah, great. So Genesis, and will there be announcements that people that are interested in staying up to date? How could listeners achieve the uh, play by play as these innovations occur?
1: Yeah, I hope so. And I would definitely encourage everyone to check out Genesis's website, kind of Google Genesis bio industries, there's been a lot of news relating to the exciting research and innovation that they've been having lately. And their CEO Luna is a really impressive individual and And lots of good things going on uh, over there at Genesis. So stay tuned, and there'll be more to come on everything that they're working on.
0: That does sound exciting. And I couldn't help but think about the United Nations 17 goals for sustainable development. And I think, wow, if London was going to go for it, London and region really be one of those areas that is compliant with the 17 sustainable development goals. Something just like this Genesis Biodevelopment and Stormfisher would be definitely a critical player in the achievement of those goals. So it's very exciting that that's going to be right here in our own community and we can keep up to date on that. So what technological advancements have been made recently?
1: So in terms of anaerobic digestion, it's interesting that the fundamental technology involved is pretty simple. You know, the process is really a big tank without access to oxygen where bacteria are breaking down the organic waste and biogas is produced. Most of the recent technological advancements have been in terms of what's done with the biogas. So in the past, most facilities in North America and and in Europe were primarily combusted the biogas in a gas turbine and producing a renewable electricity. Our facility in London was actually one of the first in North America to take the biogas produced from food waste and upgrade it into renewable natural gas, essentially pure methane. And that renewable natural gas, and it's also referred to as RNG, may or may not have heard before, we're able to inject that RNG right into the natural gas pipeline. And it can be used in place of a fossil fuel-based natural gas. That's an exciting space and there's definitely increasing demand for RNG. It's booming in North America. So it's, it's exciting times uh, in that, that space.
0: Wow, I couldn't help but smile when you were talking, Laura, about there's a whole future out there, like a whole set of discoveries that are coming and that there's people every single day asking what's possible. It's just science and technology is such an interesting area. That's really exciting about the RNGs that you were just talking about and how it fits right into the natural gas lines and all the things that we can look forward to that it becomes routinized in more and more places adopt it and all of a sudden it's something that we do in access in our everyday lives that's really great but the facilities that are necessary to operate large-scale food and organic waste management operations must be highly regulated and the equipment it must be specialized is is that true tell us a little bit about the facilities and equipment
1: It's interesting. I'd say to a certain degree, the equipment is specialized. But for anyone that came to kind of go for a tour through our plant, I mean, a lot of what we're working with is pumps, mechanical separation, you know, things that you would see in in many other industries. I'd say what is unique is that the nature of food waste requires certain design principles to be taken into account. For example, food waste that comes to our facility typically has a pH of three to four. So it's very acidic. That means it's also very corrosive. So when you're designing a receiving facility, you need to be aware of which materials you're selecting when you're when you're putting together the design. Another example where you you need to be cognizant of the challenges when it comes to this specific material is uh, there's a lot of grit that comes in the organic waste that we receive. So for example, we receive green bin material after any garbage or plastics that have gotten into the food waste after that's been removed. The remaining product often has a lot of grit in it, you know, avocado pits, nuts seeds and all that grit when it's flowing through a pipe it can erode pipelines you know put holes in elbows it can erode impellers on pumps so there is certain specific know-how that needs to be applied when you're designing a facility and that's where looking to Europe is really helpful because you know in a lot of cases they've faced these challenges before And have some pretty clever solutions, even if they're not necessarily super high tech. Just clever ways of dealing with some of these challenges that are just inherent to food waste. Wow, saying you hadn't thought
0: of it, and I I would never have thought of it. But it's these types of things.
1: We're kind of back
0: to before the break. We were talking about education and behavior change as some of the innovations, and just educating ourselves on on how we can be good participants in organic and food waste management. That's really really cool, Laura. That's a lot of hope in what you've offered, and in this show we. try to add the humanities. So philosophy, history, and creativity to today's food dialogue. And how can these approaches be applied to developments in food and organic waste management?
1: I think that in today's society, people are becoming more disconnected from where their food comes from. People's individual food philosophies have changed somewhat. You know, food is available everywhere, 24-7. You can use an app on your phone to get food delivered to your doorstep. And, you know, life is pretty fast paced. So I feel like people are sometimes less aware of all of the energy and nutrients and resources that do go in to growing the food as well as all of the energy that's required to transport the food from wherever in the world it's grown and bring it to our doorstep. So I do think that the first step for us to reduce our collective waste footprint is to produce less food waste individually. And the more that we as individuals connect with where our food comes from and are aware of the implications of the choices that we make, it lowers the overall burden across our entire society.
0: Those are excellent points around a concept of a way of life and just kind of checking our behaviors or being a little bit more mindful about this production and consumption kind of cycle that it's a lot more than that. That's really helpful. The show is also called, as everyone listening knows, Food for the Future. And how does technology in food waste management help us act now for a brighter way forward together?
1: I think when we're looking towards the future, we need to be looking to move towards a circular economy in every Thing that we do. That's what's cool about anaerobic digestion technology is that we're really able to complete the circle on the food loop. It gets converted into usable energy. The, the byproduct from digestion is known as digestate. And that is a nutrient rich organic fertilizer and it can be land applied and return all the nutrients back into the soil so that we're able to grow more food and complete the entire circular loop. I think as we look in in every space, like the circular economy is really the way that we need to go as we move to the future.
0: Excellent. So nothing goes to waste and seeing a new life in whatever it is that looks like one part of its life is maybe finished.
1: Laura, is there any final thoughts you have to offer our listeners? Yeah, I'd like to ask listeners just to imagine for a second a world where nobody's collecting your garbage, no truck is stopping by your house every week. Just imagine for a second that it's piling up wherever you live every single day and just reflect on how that would change your current habits and behaviors. And then to extend that same thought to our own behaviors when we're sorting between our different bins, those individual sorting at a household level really has a bigger impact that you might not know or realize. So just wanted to leave everybody with the message to be mindful and individual actions really do matter. And you make
0: a difference. So what a great way to finish off the show show today, Laura, with something that we all can do because we certainly can monitor and manage what's going into our composters and garbage that's being picked up. Thank you, Laura, so much for our conversation today and congratulations to you and everyone at Stormfisher for all your achievements and all those yet to come. Thanks so much. It's a delight having you here. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking about innovations in food and organic waste management with Laura Gibson, Manager of Organic Development at Stormfisher. Each week we leave you with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about. How could you help avoid food waste at home? Something to do? Visit stormfisher.com to discover local progress in environmental sustainability. Next week on the show, it's city farming. We'll be discussing pollination and attracting bees in urban settings with April Schultz from the Pollinator Pathways Project. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, Home Economist, and you've been listening to the show, Food for the Future. Thank you to our platinum-level sponsors, Burnbrae Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday at 8.30 on 980 CFPL and 980cfpl.ca.